Hello, good morning. Welcome to another episode of the Daily. This episode finds you on the first of April, Thursday. I hope your day is off to a good start. That you woke up well. This morning I woke up to my baby girl right next to me. We put her on a bed、uh, right before we leave for work, just to play with her, just to talk with her. And wow, you know these moments are precious. And I've tried. Uh, to consistently remind myself in 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 these moments that the affection I feel for my daughter, the love, the joy I feel in my heart pales in comparison to what the father feels when he sees us. And so this morning, wake up in the assurance of God's affection and love for you. He cares for you. He's slow to anger. He abounds in joy when he thinks of you. So wake up this morning. Start your day off this morning with that as a kind of cornerstone. For that being said, let us begin the podcast. If I were to ask you today, what is your most painful memory? What comes to mind? For me, I can think of two.、Uh, when I was ten years old, I swam a lot in public swimming pools, and I started to have、uh, warts on my toes. And one of the ways they treat、uh, warts was that they would,、uh, you know, peel off the scab. They would take uh, uh, almost like a scalpel and like just peel off the scab, exposing the flesh, and they would spray liquid nitrogen on it. I remember I was ten. I would scream my lungs out whenever I had to go for one of those treatments. I had to go for them pretty regularly, and I remember it was just excruciating pain. It was just horrific.、Uh, I horrified both the doctors,、uh, my parents, as well as anyone、uh, outside waiting for their turn. I remember <laughs> it was just absolutely painful. Another memory that comes into mind was、uh, what happened to me three years ago, being diagnosed with a chronic condition、uh, right in the middle of. A series teaching on miracles and feeling all sense of worthlessness and abandonment and loneliness. That was a immensely painful season. Now, of course, those moments are、uh, on a pain scale pales in comparison to what Jesus endured on the cross. But in many ways, we can relate with Jesus, can't we? As he suffers on the cross, as he feels the weight of humanity's sin on him, as he feels the pain from the lashes, from the nails, from the scourging, he cries out in deep anguish. And this is where we get this word of anguish from Matthew chapter twenty-seven, verse forty-six. It says this in God's word. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, "Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani." That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? On the cross, Jesus, presumably for the first time in his life, felt a kind of separation from the Father, whom he loved, as the entire weight of humanity's sin, past, present, and future, laid upon him. He felt separated from the Father. The author Arthur Pink describes、uh, this moment, this condition, as climatic calamity. Climatic calamity. He says that the very word "forsaken" is one of the most tragic in all of human speech, 
The writer will not readily forget his sensation as he once passed through a town deserted of all its inhabitants, a forsaken city. What calamities are conjured up by this word? A man forsaken of his friends, a wife forsaken by a husband, a child forsaken by its parents, but a creature forsaken by its creator, a man forsaken of God. All this is the most frightful of all. This is the evil of all evils. This is climatic calamity. And this is what uh, fell upon the Son of Man as he hung on the cross in deep pain and anguish to his physical body, but also that sense of emotional loss, disconnection from the Father, a, a climatic calamity. Now, if we were to be honest with ourselves this morning, don't we feel that way often in life? We feel forsaken by God. We know theologically that God is always with us. We know theologically that God is with us in our trials, in our circumstances, that He walks with us even through the valley of the shadow of death. But we have often found ourselves to realize that stubborn belief and theological understanding, though important and valid and needful, often falls short when we meet and when we encounter the circumstances of life. Doubt, despair, disillusionment seems to come, even though we have a kind of robust understanding and robust belief. And so what do we make of moments like this when we just doubt, when we have questions, when we feel as though our entire soul cries out, God, why have you forsaken me? Are these simply moments for us to ignore, to push past, or to disregard as unbelief? Or is God, through His Spirit, doing a deep work in us, doing a deeper work in us through even the most hellish of circumstances? Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a faith environment where thoughts like these, you know, uh, feelings that God has forsaken me, doubts about faith and questions about God's character and nature are often seen as unbelief, as uh, contrary, as the antithesis of faith. If you really wanted to be a faith-filled person, a faithful follower of Jesus, you wouldn't have thoughts like this. And if you were to have thoughts like this, you just push them aside. You don't even give room to think about them. You don't meditate on these things. Well, I think there is validity even in that approach, but I can't help but think that faith is way more nuanced than that. It's not just about believing and pushing through and disregarding doubts, but in many ways, doubt actually gives room and creates a pathway for more robust faith. Though we see this in the life of Jesus, we think of Gethsemane, we think of this moment in the cross where Jesus encounters real legitimate doubt, despair, and disillusionment, but yet is able to come out of it, to come out on the other side stronger and more resolute. Surely we can have such a vision that our doubt or despair or disillusionment aren't enemies to our faith, but they actually produce a deeper, more mature, more robust faith in us. And I've uh, begin to take to uh, some literature that I've read in recent times about spiritual maturity. And this writer notes that uh, we go through stages of maturity, stages of faith in our lives. We'll often be led at some point to an inward journey where we'll begin to search deep within, where we'll begin to wrestle with some of these deeper inner issues, family of origin, questions, etc. 
And very often we will hit something the author calls the wall. The wall, and this is between two stages, the inward journey and the outward journey where we will walk out much of uh, faith. We'll hit this point in our maturity, in our uh, life of faith called the wall. And many people have different uh, terms for this. Some calls it the dark night of soul. Some calls it a crisis of faith. We will no doubt hit this point in our maturing process. And I love that the author frames this point in our life not as something that has led us wayward, has led us gone astray from God's intended path, but it is very much a part of the path to maturity. We will all, like Jesus, like many of the authors of the New Testament, have to go through testings, trials to our faith, such that maturity may be proven, may be forged in us. These moments of doubt, of despair, of questioning, aren't things to be disregarded. Rather, they are things to be embraced and captured so that we may grow to mature in Christ. I think in some sense, having questions is the pathway to a deeper intimacy. The more questions we have, the more it provokes us to deeper connection, to deeper intimacy, to spending more time with a person. Such is true with God as well. The more questions we have about God, about his kingdom, the deeper we are led to go into his presence to inquire of him. And I love that in Psalm 27, we read this earnest prayer and desire of King David when he says, One thing that I have desired, that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, to ask questions. And so we ought to see these questions, these doubts and concerns we have as a means to lead us into deeper intimacy with God. And so in some sense, I would say to you, do not fear the questions that you have. Do not fear these moments of doubt and anguish, but instead use these moments to fuel your prayer life, to fuel a deeper yearning to meet with God such that you may understand. I love that Jesus through his life does not model for us a person who is stoic or is happy and jumpy all the time, but instead he shows us the full spectrum of human emotion that we get to be happy, joyful, but we also get to be sad, questioning and doubtful. And Jesus models this for us. This is what it means to be emotionally healthy. And we get to take not just our happiness, our joy, but the full spectrum of human emotion to God, to his presence. And he meets us, not just in our joy, but also in our pain and in our questioning. In closing, I'd like to close off with looking further into that statement that Jesus makes and the origin of that statement in the Old Testament. Jesus actually quotes Psalm 22 in that line as he hangs on the, as he hangs on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is the opening line of Psalm 22. And it goes on to say this, Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear, and in the night season, and am not silent. Now, these painful words from uh, David, 
but it shifts in verse 3 as David goes, But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you, they trusted, and you delivered them. They cried to you and they were delivered. They trusted you and were not ashamed. And David almost, you know, I don't know how you can phrase it, but but it's almost like schizophrenic, right? He shifts uh, almost like a like a hard right turn, right? As he goes down the path of despair, disillusionment, he pauses and then he makes an intentional decision to praise, to lift his eyes to God, to declare God's worth, to enthrone him in praise. But then it shifts back to despair in verse 6. He goes, but I am a worm and no man, a reproach of man and despised by the people. And then it shifts again in verse 9, and he goes, But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth, from my mother's womb. You have been my God, but not far from me. For trouble is near, for there is none to help. And that that entire psalm just goes, uh, just, you know, repeats this pattern of despair, disillusionment, and then intentional praise, intentional worship, and then despair, disillusionment, and oscillating back and forth and back and forth. And in this psalm, we get this holistic picture of what worship is. It is both honesty to God, honesty with God as we bring to Him our despair, our disillusionment, our doubts, but it's also intentionally pausing despite of, in spite of the sufferings, the pain, the struggle, the unbelief that we are facing, to intentionally pause and offer praise and worship to God, for He is good and He is worthy. I think that's what we need to do when we face trials of any kind. Yes, it is to take these painful emotions to God in prayer, to inquire of Him in His presence, but it's also in spite of all that we face, to not allow ourselves to forget that God is worthy, He is good, and He deserves our praise. And I think in Psalm 22, we get this holistic picture of what faith is. It is both coming to God in honesty and choosing to still hold fast to His goodness in spite of all that we see. Now, I don't know what the chronological distance is between Psalm 22 and Psalm 23, but I think it's no coincidence that after this kind of oscillation that David goes through of honesty and then intentional praise, he lands on Psalm 23, which starts off, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And perhaps we need to conclude this morning that the way we get to Psalm 23 is through the valley of Psalm 22, where we are faced with sufferings, with trials of many kinds. And it is for us to come to God in honesty, to hold fast to God's goodness. And that's how we may profess as David did, the Lord is my shepherd. And so let's spend a few moments 
just meditating and sitting on what we have just heard. God is not just a God of happy and joy and mountaintop experiences. He is with us in a valley. He's with us in a valley of death, of doubt, of disillusionment, of despair, disappointment. God, you are with us. You are with us even when we struggle. You are not afraid of when we have questions. And so we come to you as your children with our questions, with our pain, knowing that you meet us in these moments. So Lord, we also ask that you give us a kind of robust faith that isn't deterred and moved. Even when we see the injustices of the world, even when we experience pain in life, that we would still be praising, we would ever be praising. We may, in the words of Paul, be sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Give us that kind of faith, O oh God. So this morning, wherever you're at, I invite you right now to just pause, remove uh, any distractions that may be around you. If you're at home, I invite you right now to just quieten down uh, not just your hearts, but your environment. Whatever is around you that's causing you distraction, just remove it, put it aside for just a moment. And let's lean into God, even as David did in Psalm 27, to dwell in the house of the Lord, to behold His beauty, and to inquire in His temple. Whatever doubts and disappointments you may be battling with today, you may, as Jesus did, feel forsaken in your time of need. I encourage you right now, in pain, to come to God's presence in honesty, and allow Him to meet with you. He meets with you in such a profound manner, where no answers to questions may suffice, where no words of comfort may bring healing. God's presence is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we can imagine. And so let's spend a few moments asking for His presence to meet with us, whatever state we're in. So let's spend a few moments in quiet, asking for his presence to meet with us. Let's spend a few moments doing so. Amen. I trust that you have experienced God's presence even as you leaned into Him this morning. And I pray for God's abiding peace to be with you even as you go about your day today. Grace and peace.